Big Ten Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win. Welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why and how people buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for letting me those beautiful ears if you're watching this on video. I appreciate your eyeballs as well. Today, we go all the way down under, straight to the Rockies of Colorado to find you somebody who understands selling, but more important, story selling and sales leadership. Please help me welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast, Bernadette McClellan. What's happening, Bernadette? Hey, good to be here. Good to be here on your show. Uh, and even better to be here in the USA. Oh, so, there you uh, go. By the way, give, give the folks a little bit of uh, your, your quick history of who you are, why sales, and where you're at right now. Yeah, yeah, good question. Good question. Um, yeah, a number of years ago now, I'm not going to tell you how many, um, I decided to, I was one of those people that put their hand up and said, hey, I want to be in sales. Uh, and I was uh, I was working at um, a little company you might have heard of, Xerox, and uh, was yeah was their sales coordinator, and uh, they were advertising for sales trainees. So I put my hand up, and they said to me, "Sorry, you don't have what it takes. You're not aggressive enough. You're too nice." And uh, <laughs> okay, you know, I, I, if you know me, being told that you can't do something, especially in a sales environment, is like a red rag to a bull. So I marched down this long corridor from the sales floor to the leadership team, and and I knocked on the managing director's door, and he's sitting there, and there's behind this big mahogany desk and this big brown leather chair, and he's twirling his hair on my moustache, and he says, "What do you want?" And I didn't even sit down. I went in and I explained to him via a story why I was the best person for the job. And he pushed his chair back, put his hands up, and he said, you've got it. So 20 years later, I left that company um, as one of the, you know, the senior sales executives. And the reason why I, I figured I worked my way up was, was because of the power of understanding the psychology of people and also bringing story into a sales narrative. So that was my background, and then I went out on my own, um, you know, a number of years ago now, and doing sales leadership and speaking, and then last year, I made the biggest sale of my life, and that was to the United States Immigration Department, and mm. I got my green card. So my green card enables me to bring in to the United States of America some economic value, and here I am with you. There it is. Economic. So you're an EVA official now at, at it. Economic yeah. value add to the United States. EVA in the USA. I think you should plaster that somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> but, 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 I, but I love that history. I, I got to ask you. So two things pop, uh, came to mind when you were talking about your, your history there. Uh, tell me about Xerox. I mean, Xerox, for those who know, back in the day was like the premier place, premier company. Uh, it was at the forefront of sales training and new mm -hmm. development of sales. Talk to me a little bit about that and how that helped develop you into the salesperson you are today. Oh, look, I would uh, categorically, I was so fortunate. Um, the the level of um, training that we had, you know, kicking off with you know professional selling skills and then spin selling and um, solution selling, and of course that whole transition to from analog to digital. So it's not just um, understanding how to sell, but there was this whole other component in it, which was how do we start to have different conversations with our buyers who are in this analog mindset, which we all were, 
And how do we transition them to a digital mindset, which was just such a, um, a huge paradigm shift for all of us. And so the, the level of um, training that we had in that was a 12-month program that was really, uh, was called your license to sell. So at the end of that program, which brought in IT and sales and all of the, all of those components, you had to go through a series of um, exams and role plays and demonstration techniques and, and it was a, a national thing. And so that, I topped the country. Nice. That was just absolutely invaluable. Um, at, so yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing how, like that. That's an investment, and that's mm. a long-term investment. Twelve months. You know, when you look at the market today, uh, you you talk to different companies, you work with different companies, especially on the leadership side as well. You know, what do you see? You know, like the difference in the commitment to sales training. Then you've explained that, but compared to now, what are some of the differences you see or similarities? Um. Uh, and once again, it depends on who it is that you're talking to. There is a real mixed bag. And and it's interesting because uh, back in Australia, and I mean, I've only been over here now a matter of seven weeks, seven, eight weeks. Um, I was a member of the CEO Institute. So not only was I a syndicate member, but I also um, spoke to different syndicates and different levels of CEO, you know, the, the sub two million, the, you know, five million rather, the, and, and up to whatever. There is a mindset in Australia anyway, and, and I'm, I'm finding, I am actually finding a difference here in these short few weeks. I am finding and seeing a cultural difference in the way that leaders uh, embrace investing in their people. So um, what, I've, what I've seen is some leaders still think sales training is just a flash in the pan. Um, and it's going to be teaching their salespeople um, or not teaching their salespeople enough, not enough ROI. Then there are those who embrace it. And it's the growth mindset. It's those growth-focused sales leaders that I just love working with because you can really get down and dirty with them and you can kind of start to talk about what is preventing the behaviours that are stopping the results because we know that it's the behaviors that stop the activity and you know just different mindsets i guess some people still think of the psychology whether it's um story selling storytelling whether it's vulnerability whether it's intuition bringing intuition into business sure. it's still seen as fluffy but on, on the, um, yeah, that's funny. It is fluffy. They, yeah, it's, 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 they, they don't view it as tangible. I do. The, you highlighted some differences when you came. You said you started to see some cultural differences here towards sales. Can you be more specific? Like, give me yeah. something tangible. Yeah. So, um, keeping in mind, this is only simply brand new. That's okay. By the way, this but is, it's, it, but, yeah. but here's why, here, and, and let me just pause you for a second. Here's why I think this is very valuable for our listeners and watchers is because you've come from another culture. Well, I mean, we're not that different, right? Uh, Aussies to here, right? But nonetheless, you're bringing a fresh perspective. Mm -hmm. You're kind of brand new to the U.S., so to speak, right? And so now's the time to get this fresh perspective before you're tainted. So that's what that's what I want from you. Yeah, 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 got it. So, um, you know, uh, the, the people that I've been having conversations with, first and foremost, 
there is every single person that I speak to um, in relation to what I'm doing and having those networking meetings and those initial discussions are so open, how can I help you? Now, I think that's an American thing. I, we don't get that in Australia. And this, is, this podcast isn't about the difference between Australia and New Zealand. No, but I, but, I, but I want you to talk about it because I think there's also bad habits that we, some Americans may have. So now juxtapose that with, by the way, we're not beating up on Australia. That's not, no, not no, no, not at all. It's really just to say, what are some of the differences? So, so if they're open here, what do you see in Australia? Give me some examples of like, give me a scenario. Here's what happened here when I came to the U.S. Here's what would have happened if I was doing this in Australia. Yeah. So um, follow up. So I'm getting I'm getting people following me up and wanting to take the conversation further. Now, I, I don't think much has changed <laughs> between me. You know, potentially it's my message story selling. Now that now there you go. That that's a, a really important point is that in Australia, I was pretty much a generalist. Okay, so this is my thinking here now, and this will, this will potentially help some of um, our colleagues or other people out there, is in Australia, I was very much a generalist helping manufacturing companies to build their revenues and to create sales-centric cultures. So very, very much that way, very much manufacturing-based. Now, there's a, a different demographic than tech. You know, so there's a different thinking a thought process there you know and then again I'm over here there's a lot of um, um, tech communications companies but also another subset which is fractional fractional VP sales you know fractional um, interim sales leaders now that's oh, wait, let's, uh, I know what fractional is but go ahead and explain fractional to the folks who may not know what it is yeah good yeah thank you so um and before I do, that is not a big thing in Australia. It's there, but it's not a big thing. Mm -hmm. So that's a difference that I've seen. So a fractional interim um, sales leader can be somebody who comes in perhaps to an existing business where their leader's you know, no longer there and somebody needs some guidance quickly from, from a sales function perspective. Or more commonly, it's for those startups or founders that have got to the point where they're needing um, a sales leader, but they perhaps don't warrant a full-time one. Correct. Um, you know, so that's what, you know, we call an interim or a fractional sales leader. By now, the way, I just want to put a, a note, just a little note for future reference, that maybe in the future, we, you and I should have another conversation on the pros and cons of being a fractional VP or president of sales. That would be an interesting conversation, but for oh, another day. But we for could. another day. So, so, one of the, so yeah. one of the differences was in uh, people were more open. Uh, the follow up was there. Uh, now, when you said you were a generalist down in Australia, mm -hmm. was, that, was that because you marketed yourself as a generalist, or it was because I mean, what happened that you came here and now you're seeing differently? What did you do? Or what yeah, did you do? yeah, great question. So it actually all started at Outbound Down Under. So, so last year, outbound, you know, with, with COVID, um, I couldn't travel to Atlanta for the face-to-face the -face conference. So Jeb and Anthony, they put it out to me. They said, how about we have an outbound down under? So I grabbed a couple of um, key speakers uh, or key experts in this space in Australia, and we live streamed. You know, we hired a TV studio and we live streamed. Now, one of those speakers 
um, is a guy called Mike Adams. Okay, now hold that thought. I just want to just clarify for my viewers or watchers. Now, Outbound Down Under is that we have an Outbound Conference. We'll go to outboundconference.com. That's where we'll be speaking at in September. And Bernadette is referred to last year. Uh, She couldn't make it. She couldn't travel. So Anthony and Jeb created, by the way, the two founders of Outbound Conference said, hey, let's do this thing called Outbound Down Under. And you can just record from there and then or film it from there. Yeah, that's what you're referring to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And so Mike Adams and I, Mike wrote seven stories every salesperson. I read the book. Great book, by the way. Great book. Great book. Really great book. Big big, big shout out to Mike Adams, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had lunch afterwards. And Mike says to me, you know, Bernadette, you are a natural storyteller. And he said, have you considered, um, you know, joining the Anecdote team, which is the company that, you know, that that he's a partner with, um, as one of our facilitators? And so um, I jumped at the chance. So that was part one. And uh, worked with Mike on, you know, we had some a couple of cohorts. And we've won the, a large global telecommunications um deal if you like so we're working with their sales team globally so my move to america was in the pipeline way before this and so i've landed here and i i love bringing in the concept of story not just storytelling but story selling and the guys at anecdote um we had a conversation and so they have offered me uh to be the u.s partner for anecdote and so what that Congratulations, means, by the way. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And so aligned with me, Victor. And so I just feel it's, I just know that businesses out there today are wanting more than just the same old, same old. And, you know, we can dress up generalized sales training, which is, you know, how to open the deal and how to close the deal. Nothing wrong with that. There's zero things wrong with existing sales. You still need it. You still need it. You still need absolutely, but, but I'm finding it interesting that you know because of this conversation with Mike Adams after the outbound after uh, outbound down under that you know now you make a move here, but now you're you're marketing yourself probably differently. Yes, is that a true yes. statement? It is, and I think as somebody referred to me as the story seller from down under, and I kind of oh. like that moniker. Okay. okay. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So, yeah. so now, so that's one of the reasons I think, and you know, there's something to what you're saying, I think is because, uh, you can try to master all of selling, but it becomes very difficult. I think what people are looking for is a specific solution. Sometimes it's like, I don't think they want the toolbox. Sometimes they say, I just need somebody who knows how to work a screwdriver. And this yeah. case, be the story selling piece, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. so, you know, so tell me about that so far. I mean, what, how's that going? Uh, what are you finding? Yeah. I'm, I'm people are, are loving, a couple of things. So, um, you know, when I, when I, it's actually quite funny because when you, when you bring story into the sales conversation, you know, some people will think it's, it's about branding and marketing. And I had somebody say, oh, great. You know, I know somebody who wants to write a book. Perhaps you can help them. I think, whoa, 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 hang on a second. So story selling is kind of how I'm marketing it. And there's, it's kind of like a three-legged stool, okay? You need three legs or the stool's going to fall over. And so I'm at the understanding that there are three components to story selling. The first component is the story that you tell yourself about your buyer. The second is the stories you tell your buyer. And then the third 
which is where things are so often missed, is the other stories that your buyer needs to tell you. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. So let's walk through those. I find that fascinating. Rarely, yeah. does somebody throw, rarely does somebody throw me a curveball, but that was a nice little <laughs> curveball. I like that. And so the first one, let's start with the first one, is the story you tell yourself about yeah. your customer. Yeah. So, 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 so as I say, unpack that a little bit for me and, you know, you know, frame it so it'll benefit the listeners and the viewers. So, you know, any great salesperson knows that mindset and psychology drives us. And so when we need to pick up the phone or when we need to speak to a C-level decision maker, when we're faced with an objection, when we need to discuss money, um, you know, when someone doesn't ring us back, all of these things are little things that tap our brain. And we tell ourselves stories. And so you can call that beliefs, you can call it, you know, anything that you want, but it's, it's a story. And so, you know, part of what I teach or, you know, share is unpacking some of those stories, you know, beliefs around money need mm -hmm. to be, you know, like, this, this is, this is like, you know, Bernadette, you know, I like the other two points, but this to me is, is, is foundational that if you can't oh, get past this one, totally foundational, totally. I mean, I, I love, I go ahead. I'm sorry. Cause I'm excited yeah. because I love your topic. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, you seriously, you think about, um, you think about money and, and you think, um, you know, some a salesperson's in a negotiation and, and there's always going to be the money somewhere. There's always going to be in some way, shape or form, you know, that comes from us being kids. You know, I remember, right. I remember standing with my dad and my uncle and they, I was only about 12 or 13 and they were having some kind of conversation. I cannot remember what they were talking about, but I remember saying to my uncle, uncle Andrew, how much do you get paid? And my dad pulled me aside. He said, don't you ever. Never ask that, ever Bernadette. Ask anyone what they get paid. I can see your they... father scolding you, Bernadette. <laughs> <laughs> or who they vote for. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But so that's interesting, right? We don't ask money. So that kind of is programmed into us. Exactly. That, yeah. And there's so many of these little, and I'll, I'll catch it in what you said, these little stories that are tapping our brain, as you say. And yeah. it's really understanding that correct yeah totally totally and it sometimes it's just the awareness is enough to go oh heck for me it was you know because you know when i started to unpack all of this stuff um and and apply it to you know like and reflect on myself mm -hmm. and i did i reflected back um to my days as a xerox salesperson i always made my revenue but you know back in the days of Park Club and President's Club, and there were usually gates that you had to get as well as your revenue. And I missed out on so many incentives because I could never sell the big kit because in my mind, I thought it was too expensive. Right. So why would I, so all of this You stuff, were, as I always say, you were buying with your pocket, not theirs, yeah. which is a big mistake to make. I, I got to ask you this because I think this is, I, I, I'll i forget the thought. So I, I apologize for interrupting a bit, but you got me excited here. Um, you talked about awareness. The first step is awareness. So let's say that, let's just fast forward for, for the audience here and just say they get it. They have stories. 
they really need to work on these stories. So the step one, let's help them a little bit. The first step is awareness, right? I become aware that, you know, I'm really worried about how I was raised with money, for example, using that one. That's why I hate talking about money. So step one, it's almost like, you know, uh, an intervention, right? Step one, become aware. What are the second or third steps for somebody to really begin to turn it around? Mm. Okay. Okay. So, um, number one, it, and I'm just kind of off the top of my head here, sure. is to um, realize, is, is to think of, say, like a $1,000 or a $100 note. Okay, grab a $100 note. And, and what would you do with that $100 note? Now, you know, you might buy a pair, you won't get much shoes for $100, but, you know, buy, pay a bill or, you know, buy a coffee, whatever it is. But behind that, there's emotion. And so the awareness is, number one, is recognizing that money is linked to emotion. So how can you treat money like a loaf of bread? <laughs> yeah, it's just, it means nothing. It's a loaf of bread. Second is start to, to talk about money more. You know, women... So, like, so, so the first one is to detach the emotion from money. Yeah. Just detach it and, and almost become agnostic or apathetic yeah. of any emotional content in that money. Yeah. It's paper. Okay, it's, it's, it's fiat currency that we use to exchange goods. Exactly. Bam. All right. Now, that might take a little bit of time to internalize that. Um, to help you do that is to start talking about money more more openly. Uh, open those window-faced envelopes. You know, don't shove them <laughs> in, the, in the drawer until you get your reminder notice. Um, how, about, how about with I, – I love where you're going with this. Let's start talking about money because when you start talking about money, it's like you demystify it. Yeah. Right. You just demystified. So when you say talk about money, uh, put me back. Let's go back to the situation where I'm a salesperson. I'm afraid to bring up money or whatever. I, I think it's too expensive. As you said, I didn't sell this because I thought it was too expensive. So how does that conversation go about me talking about money? So, so from from your from, so from so we're moving now to the to the deal, or we're yeah, talking. So, so first of all, I, I become aware that I'm afraid to talk about money because I'm buying other people's stuff with my pocket, not theirs. And then now you say, well, let's talk. You should just talk about money, right? Kind of desensitize yourself. Yes. You no, know, I'm talking talk about money openly at home. So, um, so sometimes people will tell fibs about money. They might just say, look, I got this on special. Or, you know, you're kind of bringing that kind of part of conversation in. I'm talking about personally here. And, and the third way to think about it also is to start to add another zero to the end of what you think a lot of money is. Because if you think a lot of money is $100 and you're selling something for 1000 there's going to be a total disconnect and you're going to feel totally uncomfortable. So, yeah, so it's a, it's a learned thing. It's not something that you can just, you know, maybe some people can just go like that. But for most people, it's it's a learned thing. And this is the, the entire part about awareness. Yeah. And by the way, it's how do you unlearn that? It's kind of what you're walking us through the process here. How do you unlearn to be afraid to talk about money, for example, yeah. or whatever other issue you might be having? Fair statement? Yeah, so start to start once again. It comes back to the story that you tell yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, um, how can you flip the script? How yeah. can you start to change? You know. Uh, I, by the way, I have an example for you. I, I want you to analyze this example because I thought it was interesting because it, yeah. it's a longest topic. 
and I was trading a pool company, like swimming pools, right? And one of the salesperson, you know, we talked about, you know, be a product of the product. In other words, own the product and then yeah. be able to sell the product more effectively. And he says, well, Victor, I live in an apartment. It doesn't have a pool, right? And, that's, and that was his hiccup. He goes, well, I don't have a pool. How can I sell this? Plus, I can't even afford a pool. That was his yeah. mindset. I don't have one and I can't yeah. afford one. And I said, one, I said, uh, do you know somebody who has a pool? <laughs> you know, I, just said, I said, go jump in that pool and then go enjoy somebody's pool. I said, number two, you don't have to be able to afford the pool. Your job is to bring the vision of the pool to the client. It's not about yeah. affording it. And so, so break that apart for me, how you can actually, because you said something interesting. It's how do you shift their paradigm, right? How do you reframe it for them? And what exactly. do you do to reframe people? Exactly. And, and if you think about, you know, we're still kind of in this line of story because that is a story that that salesperson has. Now, that, you know, um, when we've started selling anything, we take the whole sales scenario. Um, do you need to own the pool? No, you could be a reporter type person. Correct. You you don't have to be a user. You know, you don't have to be a user. Um, By the way, that concept right there is so valuable. That be a reporter. If you're not doing it, be a reporter. Report on that. I don't want people to just let that go by like you just said it like a flipping statement. There is power behind what you just said in that concept. That if you treat yourself as a reporter, then you have a totally different perspective. And then you can move into the second part of what I've at my stool is the storytelling. And what are the stories you're telling your buyer? Now, that is a classic example of, you know, sharing a, would could potentially be a success story of one of your colleagues mm -hmm. who has a pool. Right. And so, you know, you're able to um, bring in that, homeowners challenge that they were having you know who they were the challenge that they were having um, how they met your you through your friend uh, how you work together on a plan together but hang on whoops you know there was a little bit of a, a hiccup along the way because the buyer said well you know what you don't have a pool but we got over that together because of what we did together and collaborated, and now he's bought the pool and I'm enjoying swimming in it. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I love the way you're setting this up. I think it's beautiful because it's like first you're saying about it's the story you tell yourselves that will determine whether you can be successful or not foundational. Now you say, okay, now how do we reframe the story, even if we have some deficits? Because a lot of people have. Uh, like imposter syndrome, right? That's kind of a yes. of it, right? Yes. You're like, oh, I don't have one. I'm an imposter. Well, remember, you're not supposed to own the pool. You're supposed to be able to sell the vision of the pool and what it can do for the customer. And so I love where you're going with that. Big Ten Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win. So what is the third step again? Because I thought the third one was also interesting. <laughs> so the third step are the stories that, um, that you need to elicit from your buyer in order to complete, I guess, the entire sales narrative and to really set yourself up with as much data. So we're talking storytelling, but we're also talking data to bring up enough data to complete a proposal that is just so aligned and sign the deal. And so that part of it are the, you know, how do you elicit the right stories? How do you know what those stories are? Mm -hmm. Well, 
the best way that we can um, help our buyers tell their story is to ask questions. Interview and, them. And to, Be a reporter. Interview them, right? Yeah, totally. And and do it. Um, do it in a way that allows them to do the heavy lifting, mm-hmm. because the number one topic is on the planet always will be has been forever me (laughs) you know so your buyers given the right questions um will naturally share their answers yeah which is their story i agree i agree by the way two things one i love the way you say data not data it's so it sounds more, <laughs> it sounds more elegant when you say it. The other thing is, is that when I look at that third leg, immediately I, what came to mind was almost like a, like a, not so much a process as a cycle, a, a feedback loop. So because when the customer starts, you elicit those stories from the customers. Well, that feeds into the first leg, which is the stories you tell yourself about your clients, right? And the more positive you hear, the more positive you actually imbue within yourself. And then obviously moving to leg number two, where you tell stories. Yeah. And, and, Interestingly, when you are asking the right questions mm-hmm. um, that enable your client to share more information with you, you're also not just hearing their stories about their business, but done the right way, you're also going to hear their stories they're telling themselves about you. Correct. Which reinforces Which their belief system are- about you which are commonly referred to as objections. And they're simply stories that that buyer is telling you about you, your product, your market, your business, whatever it may be. And how do most salespeople react to objections? They do two things, one of two things. They'll either agree, yes, you are right, Mr. Customer, and completely walk away and lose out because they don't know how to how to kind of come back or how to push back or anything like that. Or the second is they will justify and defend and that's never going to work either. Correct. So, you know, we have all of these great hacks um, and these great, you know, shortcuts that the gurus tell us, you know, answer an objection with these words or whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, you're still doing all the telling. And so what we need to do, the only way, and this is what we say, is that the only way um, that you can beat an objection or an anti-story is with a better story. Correct. And so, yeah. And so that's where that whole kind of loop um, kind of closes off. Yeah, I, I, I love that. Um, the I love that when you elicit from the every time I elicit information from a customer, it's always interesting. What I thought was important, they didn't find that important. Yeah. And then what I thought was just throwaway material, comments, statements, they're like, you know, Victor, that really resonated with me. I'm like, yeah. that. Even when, when you're on the stage, right? I'm sure that, you know, you think the audience is going to react this way to whatever story you're going to tell. Nothing. And then you tell some dumb anecdote. <laughs> And they're like, yep. oh, my God, that was the most brilliant yep. thing. It really shifted my paradigm. So you never, it's almost like the box of chocolate thing. You never know what you're going to get. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, this is, and you know this as well, is the shortest way, you know, the shortest distance between two people is a story. And um, 
you know, when we can, when we, what was that? We're very visual, aren't we? We're very yeah. visual. And that's what, that's what the power stories do. Yeah. But, but, I, but, I, but I think you're underselling yourself because I love your three-part method, which I think is brilliant already. But you, like you, for example, just in telling your stories to me, is that you have a certain cadence, tone, descriptor, so forth, and that also requires a certain skill set. And how did you develop like your skill set? I mean, was it just developed over time, or did you consciously say, you know what, I got to get better at this? Um, you know, it's, it's it's interesting. I um, you've heard of Tony Robbins, Anthony Robbins. Barely, um, yes. So I, um, I was asked to speak at his um, Unleashed hey, Power. Hey, Board. wait a minute! You got a nice comment on your website from Tony Robbins. You got a nice, beautiful quote in there. Yeah, yeah. So you got a high five from Tony Robbins. Wow! See, I would. Yeah. I, I read your stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I I was asked to to speak at Unleashed the Power Within in Sydney, and so um, I had you know I had been a coach, I had been a client, and was being coached. And so, um, so they asked me to speak for this breakout room and breakout um, session. And so I, I did. And really, what they wanted was just share your experience as a client. And um, so I got up there and, and I, I, I just did a forty-five minute keynote. And unbeknownst to me, nearly forty percent of the room converted to co to coaching. As a so that was a record. And so. Off the back of that, they wanted to send me to London and San Jose. However, someone came back and said to me, Bernadette, can you tell us the cadence? Can you tell us the, um, oh, what's the word? Um, oh, I can't remember the word. Syntax of your speech. And I'm thinking, what's a syntax? i got no idea what a syntax means. So I couldn't answer that question. I just said, well, I just told my story. Now, um, a couple of months ago, I had a conversation with the CEO of Anecdote, and he asked me the same question. He said, do you think people have a genetic disposition to be storytellers? Or what makes a good storyteller? He said, what was your history? What's your family background? And I said, well, Irish. I said, my grandmother used to read the tea leaves. I said, so I don't know, maybe there's something in me that's the natural storyteller. However, I then started. Oh, if you're Irish, yeah, you got some. Yeah, yeah, By yeah. the way, I get teary-eyed at old Danny Boy and Bayan Bonnie Brays. <laughs> Just letting you know. Go ahead. <laughs> um, but I've started working with technical CTOs hmm. in, um, in telecommunications field. And these guys are, you know, they sit there like this, you know, they're thinking stories, fluff, you know, all the rest of it. We're data-driven. We're logical. Don't know if this is going to work. At the end of this, our program, they actually have the best storytelling because there is structure, there is a process, there is a framework. And so these left brain thinkers, and I'm just using that word loosely, mm -hmm. these left brain thinkers that are very process focused are, have the ability because we've all got stories in us. By the way, I, I, the, I, the reason I'm affirming what you said is I came from the telecom space. Right. And, and, so, and so you're right. They're left brain thinkers, but they're great storytellers. Totally. Totally. And when they when they feel comfortable enough that there is um, there is a structure, they follow it and they just, you know, I, I say there's a framework and just dance within the framework. 
Be yourself and just dance within the framework. We love that. And and they that. And that's what they do. And so can it be taught? Yes. Is it inherent in all of us? Yes. And for you know, probably half the population, it has been suppressed for whatever reason. So I, that's I, why I think- it's... I wouldn't agree with you. I think everybody has storytelling abilities. I think there's this misperception, if that's the word, that you have to be a storyteller. You have to be very animated. You have to be very this. You have to be, no. No. Everybody tells their story their own way. Correct. And it's really the context and the, I'll just say, the authentic delivery of that story that makes a great story. Absolutely. And, And that's that connection. In business, so long as it's got a business point. Correct. You know, so, um, you know, there are there are some little, um, you know, nuances along the way to help, like, you know, always, always, you know, you don't have to be this dramatic, you know, Star Wars. It's not about big yeah. stories. Um, it's about little anecdotes as well. You know, That's so, a, you know, since I've, you know, like you, I've shared the stage with, you know, a couple of speakers and it's always amazing to me, the audience's reaction to a story that I would be like, meh. You know, I'd, I'd be like, meh, that's a, yeah, an interesting story. But then people in the audience are like, oh, my God, that story was so powerful. And it really taught me that, you know, you shouldn't project what you think. Let the audience tell you what you should think about that story, because that's the only way to test it, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love once- that. I, I got to ask you something, Bernadette, it, I'll be, and you can, you can not answer this or choose not to answer this, but I would love your perspective if you, if you would share it. As a woman in sales, you know, you've been around from, uh, you know, let's just say a few years back and yep. then you can fast forward to today. You know, what are some of the changes? Uh, what are some of the positives, negatives, whatever you want? I mean, give me your perspective on what do you think has changed? Because I'll give you my brief history is that I worked with a lot of saleswomen in the past. We're talking 10, 20 years ago. And there were a lot of badasses back then. <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's a lot of badasses today. Uh, but, I, you know, I just want to hear your perspective because obviously I'm not a woman, so I don't know what that is. <laughs> so, yes, it certainly changed. Um, and and uh, I'm going to say for the better. And, yeah, there's some areas that, you know, were really good back then. And so I think... Um, Lay it on me, Bernadette. Lay it on me. Don't hold Lay back. It on. Yeah, Lay it on. Yeah, here we go. So I'm going to come from a different perspective, a couple of different perspectives. One, I was a single mum for um, a chunk of time, and my daughter was like only one. So that was really difficult. Um, then, um, back then, so we are talking a few years back, um, it was really important. Well, it wasn't, no, important wasn't the right word. It was commonplace for the women to feel that they needed to be one of the boys. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was, um, that I don't see that anymore. Um, I see even just to, to the way we dressed, you know, the black suit with the white shirt, you know. So it was very, we were very, um, I guess, masculine, the mm-hmm. masculine energy. You were, to, you were trying to fit in. Totally. You know, and you're so, trying to fit it. Okay. Be one yeah. of the boys, dress like the boys, hang with the boys, speak like the boys. Exactly. Drink like the boys, you know, all of that kind of that culture. We, hey, I'm calling By the way, the, I, the Irish I'm side of you just came this. out. You hear me? The Irish side of you just came out. I heard that. I heard that. Go ahead. 
Um, and so from um, uh, so there was that. There's that shift that I've seen happen, um, and I, I think also political correctness. Um, I think is um, how can I say this without it being taken the wrong way? I I call I'm pretty real, and and I think sometimes political correctness can be taken too far. Sure. Um, to the detriment of connection. I know that sounds really weird, um, but oh, I think, um, I, think, I think you. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You not ostracize yourself, but you you set yourself apart because I think it has gone too far. We, that's another discussion, but but I know what you mean though. I mean, you know what you're trying. I guess we're always trying to find that balance, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. what we're always looking for. Uh, what I noticed, you know, is that you, you're so right. I never really thought about that. Uh, women tried to fit in more. Today, yeah. I don't see that as much. But I also think that, you know, let me defend the men for a second here, that that, that men have come around also. I think so, too. You oh, know, they, I, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't think, you know, they're given enough credit for that, that they've kind of like, okay, let's not be idiots here because women can sell just as well, if not better than men, depending on the situation. I don't like saying one is better than the other. I think that's always a stupid thing to say because it's all context-based, right? But I think men have come around, and sometimes I wish in this society we would applaud the, the transformations and the gradual changes, whether it's men or whatever, whoever, these changes. We never do that, right? We always keep focusing on how it used to be or the negatives. So I think we've seen men come around and go, you know what? Yeah, I kind of like these ladies. And the you thing know. is, though, here's the thing, is that the guys today who are senior managers, you know, that potentially could be blocking the women, okay? Mm -hmm. they're, they're probably baby boomer age. Mm -hmm. They were the ones that were on the sales floor we were with 20 years ago. Right. You know, so, you know, there, there's mindsets there as well. We've got the young ones coming up now that are that are really, I think, more open minded. I oh, think yeah. they're so much more inclusive. Um, and, and I think that they've grown up with working mums, you know, so. There's, We're seeing this gradual, yeah, you're describing this gradual shift. Yeah. And it's it's almost like a, like plate tectonics. A lot of plates are moving. Totally. And, and I think they're settling into a better place. And, I, yeah. and I, I also think social media has contributed to that as well. I mean, and, and How, so? How, huh? so? How so? By people sharing, um, by people sharing um, stories, um, you know, of, of teammates and um you know, awards and, you know, women in sales and, um, you know, mm -hmm. Laurie Richardson does an amazing job at elevating, you know, Cynthia does, um, uh, Barnes does an amazing um, job with elevating women in the sales space. So we're starting to see that narrative. I got, I got to ask you this question because it's a burning question I have. The, I don't know how I feel about this, so I'm hoping you can guide me and to clarify my thoughts, but I don't like drawing lines. That's always been my thing. I don't like drawing lines. I think we're all human beings type of thing, right? <clears throat> but every time I see like women in sales, you know, uh, I always think, I said, why, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? I don't like it. I don't, I, I gotta be honest, I don't like it. Uh, you know, because I think if we start creating, then we create men in sales. You know what I mean? It's just like, okay, I, another line is drawn. I agree. I totally, I agree with you and understand where you're coming from there. And I've thought about that as well. Um, I remember Jill Conrath. We, you know, Jill Conrath, the amazing. Oh, Jill, Jill Conrath's Conrath. awesome. I, by the way, one of her uh, selling the big companies. One of the first uh, sales books I read, and I thought that that's a fantastic book. Still, I think a great book. 
Oh, totally. Absolutely love it. Well, she said to me a number of years ago, I was was at a conference over here and um, and I said something to her about, you know, being, um, you know, wanting to be Australia's leading female in sales or whatever it was. (laughs) And she looked at me and she said, why female? Yeah. Okay. And I thought, Wow. And so what me and I Jill. think with me and Jill are like this. Yeah. <laughs> me, and, me and Jill are like this. Because I'm like, just be a I, I hate to say, it, but just be a badass. Yeah, yeah. And because I, I gotta tell you this quick story. There was a sales lady, and I don't think she'll mind me mentioning her name. Her name was Linda Sweet, telecom, technology sales. Just killer lady. I mean, just everything if you say show me the ideal saleswoman, I'm like, bam, there she is. And she was doing this, let's say, 20 years ago, easy. And what I've always loved about her was that she held her own. Like, and I just like, oh, and to me, she was like my, I'll say my role model, you know, that she really showed me that, you know, this is how you become a strong salesperson, not a strong woman in sales, a strong salesperson. And man, she commanded respect when she walked into a room, literally. Yeah. 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 So when I hear women in sales, I'm like, you know, that's just me. I think it, um, so, I guess I'm I'm part of this wonderful network of women, and, and we're a great sounding board for each I other about business. But I think that that will I think that that's um, almost like the 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 line in the sand, the stake in the ground yeah. that says, you know what, there we, we are going to do something. But I think that will fade out. I think that's part of the te- tectonic plates. You sure. know, I think I think that will fade out, and it will all just merge in as we. As we evolve, I guess, as a profession um, or a community. Yeah, I mean, even even it happened for me. Just it's not just the women in sales. Uh, my background is founded in Puerto Rico, so I'm Hispanic, right? And years ago, I said, no, I don't want to be a Hispanic speaker or a Hispanic sales trainer. No, we're not drawing lines. We're in this case, we're Americans. Okay, that's the only moniker I want. And then we're whatever. You know what I mean? And I yeah. just thought that. And so it's a philosophy I've been living by. So every time I see people balkanize by drawing lines and creating cohorts and groups. I go, mm, you know, I think we don't want to do that. I, I'm all about erasing lines. Yeah. I so like we it. all become, well, yeah, on the same playing field. Or coloring outside the lines. There you go. Take your pick. <laughs> Take whatever analogy you want. <laughs> so you're good at that. Uh, so, th- But thank you for that perspective because I think the – I've also, too, seen a change. Like I said, I've seen a change in men, but I've also seen that women are more confident. They're not trying to fit in anymore. I right? agree. And I, I also think because I think women are now getting more, I think, engineering or technical degrees, I think I'm right, you know, than men are. And so you're starting to see a lot of women in tech more than usual, more than in the past, I should say. And I think that's a plus as well. Yeah, it's like it's just it's ever evolving, isn't it? Like, I mean, it's yeah, it's I think, I think we're in really fun part. times. I think, you know, well, I, I think if you look at a lot of the issues that are out there today, like, you know, like, uh like paternity leave, right? Uh, stay-at-home moms are now getting more respect, even stay-at-home dads. But but I love the, uh, I, I think I love the infusion of the, the feminine side, if I could say it, in the business. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the yin and the yang, and I love that blend, always trying to find the right balance, but I, I love that blend. And I think, you know, like when more women like yourself, you know, in positions of prominence where people see you and they go, oh, there's the role model I'm looking for, because everybody wants a role model, right? Yeah. And so when people, I'm sure when people look at you, uh, do you have a story, by the way, of somebody who like, somebody you inspired, some young lady, could be a young man also, somebody you inspired. Give me, give me a, let's, let's wrap with that one. Give me an inspirational story here. Oh my God. 
I'm uh, totally putting you on the spot. Totally putting you on the spot. Told you not to come on this podcast. I warned you about this podcast. <laughs> you know, I, um, oh my gosh, you have put me on the spot. Um, I, you know, I, I, I had somebody reach out um, to my husband and I, and so it was it was to me, but it was to Tim and I, and um, you know. I, don't, I make no um, bones about this. I've, I've shared it in, in relevant situations. It's not something I go around beating the drum about. Um, but my husband and I went bankrupt 10 years ago. So we were on welfare. I had um, I had a, an accident in our, we had a importing business and a wholesale business and I had a forklift accident of all things. And um, they put me on penicillin for three days and it shut my liver down. So I was in bed for all of 2009, and as a result of that, nobody was at the driver's seat of the business. We lost, we lost our houses. We were completely bankrupt and on welfare. And so um, I share that story. Uh, in Australia, we have um, a day a year called Are You OK Day, and it is all around mental health. Um, and and so we shared that story, not for the sake of sharing it, but shared how we kind of came out of it and got ourselves back on the horse again. And so I had two, um, it was actually written up in the Australian Financial Review, there was an article on us, and so I had two people separately over a, a period of time come back and say that one of them was, um, it had changed their complete outlook on their, their life. And the other one helped with their business and getting them back up on the horse. So I think the reason why I'm sharing that story, the point behind that, is that we've all got, had experiences that have taken us down and just as equally brought us back up. And I think it's a responsibility that we all have. Um, in most cases, a privileged responsibility to actually share that story in the right context at the right time with the right people and just I guess inspire means to breathe life into and so you know for you to share an inspirational story so long as it's breathing life into somebody's ideas or thinking or being um, then that's behind why I share some of those stories. Oh I love that story. I got I got the chills a little bit because you know because it's one of those things where I'm I'm tired of social media always projecting the ideal life. You yep. know what I mean? Everything's perfect, yep. and you know maybe people look at you and just say, "Oh my God, Bernadette just has it all," right? Without realizing it, that all of us, all of us, I got I got my stories too. Yeah, but we all have stories of hardship, and we have the, the the go down and the come up stories. Yeah, and so I think if you know when you share that story, people go, "Oh, okay." She did it. Yeah. Maybe I can also. And I love that. And by the way, you know what? I really like what you also said. Uh, the mental health day. Are you okay day? I'm not usually a fan of, you know, these label days, but I think I'm a fan of that one. Like, are you okay day? Yeah. I think I like that one because yeah. I think it's, it's almost like a mental check-in with people, right? Are you okay yeah. day? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. And I think through COVID as well, you know, coming back, um, kind of probably tying a few little things in here as well as I, I think that, um, We've seen a different side to people. We're seeing more vulnerability. Um, we're seeing more sh stories shared. Um, we've seen inside people's homes. You know, we've by default met their kids. If 
even if they're just sitting doing something under the table next to this, you know, our client, we're, we're really, I think the barriers have, have dropped. And coming back to your point before about some of the shifts and some of the changes, I'm seeing people being more, more, um, I, hate, I hate using the word more authentic. I, I don't like using, more authentic because we already are authentic. Right, we're already are authentic, so we don't need to become authentic because we are authentic. We've just layered. <laughs> By the way, I think we would disagree on that because I'm thinking some people try not to be authentic and oh. try to be something else. But but I, but I but I understand the spirit of what you're saying. Yeah, and that is that, you know, we're seeing more of the the true person. Yeah, the 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 layers are being stripped away. That inauthenticity yeah. is being stripped away. So we're beginning to see yes. the authentic person. That's what, I would agree with that. That yeah. the, the the inauthentic layers are being peeled back. Sometimes you're starting to see it. Yeah. And then you see people for who they are, and yeah. then you realize they're just like us. Exactly. They're just like us. Exactly. You so you know, salespeople, those CEOs that you are so scared to contact, you know, they got kids hanging around their feet, screaming at them on the weekend. You know, just like you. So you know, we are just all the like same. You. We're just different. <laughs> that's all. I mean, and by the way, I, I think that's a great note to end it on to give them confidence in selling. If you just treat them like people, because I found this to be true, you tell me if you found this also, is that when I treat an executive like a human being, with the respect of the title that they deserve, yep. of course, but just treat them like an individual, you know, just like you, it's it's always an easier conversation. Have you found that to be true? Absolutely. And then that's you. That's It's all about you. If, if you're thinking different, it's about you. It's not about them. There you go. Oh, my God. There you go. She dropped that one at the end. <laughs> there you go. Take that. Take that. Anyway, Bernadette, uh, do several things. Close us out by telling us uh, about Outbound. You're going to be there and then where they can find out more about your wonderful self. Yeah, I cannot wait for Outbound. So um, I'll be there sharing uh, three different three different virtual breakout and main stage. So I cannot wait to share some more ideas with you guys. Um, look, connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to connect with you on LinkedIn. And BernadetteMcClellan.com is my website where you can find out all these amazing things about story selling. I love it. You have a great website, by the way. And Bernadette, I thank you for being on the Sales Influence Podcast. Thank you very much. And on that note, this is Victor Antonio saying, check out Bernadette McClellan's website at BernadetteMcClellan.com. And after you do that, go to SalesVelocityAcademy.com. Got new courses to help you sell more faster. And on that note, this is Victor Antonio always reminding you, selling ain't hard when you have a good story and you know how to tell it and you know how. Take care. Big Tin Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win.